Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Dustin Heiner. Uh, did, I spell, did I say that right? You sure did. Good job. Awesome. awesome. Okay. I never <laughs> even thought to ask beforehand. Uh, Dustin, uh, you want to give us a bit of an intro to yourself and then we'll jump in. Yeah. Yeah. So I... I love investing in real estate and it's just great to be able to get on great podcasts like yours and talk to great people and just share with us. So I really appreciate you having me on, but yeah, so I'll fast forward to where I actually quit my job and then I'll go back and tell you how I did it, or at least give you the, the general story about it. So when I was 37 years old, I quit my job and I call it successfully unemployed. Basically I figured out a way to make money for myself and my family without working that dead end job, And that's when I say job, it's just over broke job because your boss is paid. You just have to keep you over broke. And so when I was 37 years old, I quit because I had so many rental properties, but let me tell you basically a quick story of how I got into it, what catapulted me into becoming a full-time investor. So all my life growing up, I've always been entrepreneurial. That's, you know, starting businesses like the idea of having businesses. And I, as I grown up, like I, I even had a newspaper route. That's where, you know, you get on your bike and you put newspapers inside your bags and you're riding around at 5 a.m. and throwing newspapers and banging them on garage doors at 5 a.m. So I've done that. I've also had a graphic website design company. I've had a skateboard manufacturing business, a pizzeria, a convenience store. I, I've always been entrepreneurial, but at the same time, I've been taught, and we've all been taught how basically to be an employee. Like you just go to school, you get good grades. Then you go to college, get in thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, get good grades, and then get hopefully get a degree, and then hopefully take that piece of paper to somebody and say, give me a job. And I was following that down that route, all the while still trying to make businesses. It wasn't really the best, but I was just kind of going down the route. So I was working a regular nine to five job. So in California, where I was living at the time, I it was 2006. And before the crash and before everything. And so I was working a regular nine to five sit down job at a county department, basically a governmental department in California. And we, my wife and I started having, you know, three and four kids. And so while I'm working this nine to five job, it's a technology job, just, you know, doing tech stuff. Yep. Well, my wife had her fourth child and I go on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mommy to change poopy diapers and, and, you know, bond with the baby and all that sort of stuff. And, I was out for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks at most. And then I go back to work. And then that week that I get back to work on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's, boss's, boss's secretary, like the top dog. I get a call from the secretary and she says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I paused for a second. And I thought, why would they be calling me to the office? Like, this isn't normal. This is weird. It's a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon. And as I sat there, I thought for a second, I said, oh my goodness, but a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there was some rumors or some rumblings going on that there could potentially be layoffs in the county that I was working. I said, no way, that's not me. I immediately shuck it off because I have so much seniority. There's no way they're going to fire me or let me, let me go and lay me off. And so I got up and I walked down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, this hallway wasn't very long. In fact, it was kind of short, but Every single step that I took, it felt like my feet turned into lead bricks. And every step I took got harder and harder because it started dawning on me that, oh my goodness, this could potentially be the time that I get laid off. And if, it, if I get laid off, what's going to happen to me and my family? Well, the world starts kind of coming on my shoulders and feeling heavier and heavier. And then I get to the end of the hallway and then I turn the corner. 
And my boss's door is closed. And I look at his secretary and his secretary, nice, nice lady. She goes, Dustin, and sheepishly, she grins at me and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And so I go and I take a seat and I sit down and she's grinning at me, kind of consoling me with her eyes because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. Well, as I sit there, I start thinking about my family, my fourth kid, like literally two or three weeks old child. And my goodness, if I get laid off here, what about all those years of working, you know, 12, 15 years trying to build up a career? Is that all a waste? And then going to college, is that a waste? And then, oh my goodness, I have four kids now and a wife. How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to put a roof over our heads? And I started thinking, does that make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a man trying to produce for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty because the weight of everything is starting to crush down on me. Then the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a lady, a coworker of mine with a piece of paper in her hands. And she is noticeably distraught. She's noticeably upset, but she's not necessarily crying, but you could tell her world has been rocked. And as she passes by me, my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into the office? So I get up, I go into his office and I get laid off. And this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government, but I did. So I take that layoff notice and I go back to my desk and I realized two things right then and there, Glenn. The first thing I realized was I need to get another job. I need to be able to provide for my family. And so I was really blessed, praise the Lord, to be able to find another job in the same county, a different department is a sheriff's department, really great department transferred over. So that was a blessing to be able to provide for my family. Then the second thing, while I'm sitting in my desk right there, I realized I need to make sure that this never ever happens to me again. And I thought, my goodness, every time when somebody asks me the question, Dustin, what is it that you do? And anytime anybody asks you the question, everybody listening, when you're asked the question, what do you do? They're basically asking you, what value do you put in yourself? And I would always just answer with my job. And, oh, I work for the county. I do IT work. Well, I'm projecting that value of just my job. And I realize no more will I ever tell anybody my value is in my job. My value now comes from my God, from myself, and from my family. And I now I'm going to tell everybody I am an investor. I had one or two properties at the time and I knew I wanted to do that, but I was like, oh, you know, life just keeps kind of getting to you. Well, I made the decision right then and there to tell everybody I'm an investor. Now it may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job. That's now my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. Fast forward, you know, three or four years now, got to the new department, bought property after property, every single property making me a minimum of $250 or more in passive income from every single one of those properties. Eventually I had 30 plus properties and I realized, my goodness, what am I working here for? Even though I'm making $75,000 a year here, I'm losing money. So I went to my new boss, great boss and everything. I said, boss, I'm laying you off, well, you know, jokingly. Uh, <laughs> but I said, here's, here's my two weeks notice, I'm done. And my boss says, Dustin, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not going to do anything. I literally own real estate. It works for me without me working and make money in passive income. And I, th- I got round up the story by t- sharing this Glenn. So if you remember that story of me walking down the hallway to my first boss's office that got longer and longer, I took this last walk away from my job to my car. I was working in the downtown area, parked a mile and a half because I was frugal. I'd, I'm d- still frugal, but I didn't want to pay for parking, but I've taken this walk thousands of times. And this last walk, I felt like I was walking on clouds for the entire mile and a half walk because I knew I would never, ever need a job again. So everybody listening to this, 
you need to know that your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you. And this is how you know this for sure. Your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money that takes money out of their pocket. And so when you start getting paid for the value that you're worth and the value that you bring to anything, you're, nobody's going to be able to afford you. And so now I look at myself as being successfully unemployed. Now all my time is continually building my real estate investing business and then getting on great podcasts like yours and just sharing with people that it's absolutely possible. I'm just like your next door neighbor, just somebody yeah. that just figured it out. Hey, let's work together. So I'll pause that story. You probably got some questions that you might want to ask. <laughs> well, lots of questions. We can go down different paths, but even still like, so you're, you're, you just left your job. Um, I'm guessing that there was... Uh, a couple things you had to get in line beforehand. Like what, what was there financing stuff you had to do beforehand? Was there oh crap funds? Like I'm guessing <laughs> you don't just, I'm, I'm like, I got about 30. It probably makes around enough cash flow. I'm out. I'm, I'm guessing there's some more stuff that was in there. <laughs> when I started investing in the US, I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. Glensutherland.com slash coaching. A 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process. Make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at glensutherland.com coaching. There's a lot. Yeah, you're 100% right. And a couple of things like my wife said, well, we have mortgages. We need to pay off those mortgages on, you know, some houses. We have extra money. Let's just pay those off because I want to get rid of that debt. And I was like, well, that's money I could spend to buy more properties. I said, no, if you're going to quit, we got to do that. So that was one thing. Definitely having emergency fund is a big deal. Having insurance, but then also building up your amount, the amount of money that you have saved on hand, as well as your passive income coming in to buy more properties. I didn't want to just replace my income and, you know, cover the expenses, I also wanted to continue to grow my business. So this is what I did. So this is exactly how I planned to become successfully unemployed or, you know, retire early. Yep. It was where what I did was I said, if I make $250 a month from every single property that I buy or more, some property, you know, I remember I started back, back in 2006, those yep. properties that I made $250 a month, now I'm making 500, $600, $700 a month because rents go up, which is fantastic. But yep. here's what I did. I thought, if I just extrapolate that out or just multiply it out, $250 a month is $3,000 a year. I'm like, well, that's a fantastic amount of money. So yeah. from there, if you bought 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month. That is $30,000 a year. I'm talking about US dollars, obviously. $30,000 a year in passive income, not working. And then 20 properties is $5,000 a month, $60,000 a a year. And I just kept scaling it up from there. I said, if I need to replace my income, this is what I need to do. And then that's how I took step after step, buying the next property, buying the next property, buying the next property. Eventually, like you said, um, you know, I had my bases covered, like emergency fund, paid off a lot of the mortgages. So now they're mostly free and clear, had a lot of passive income coming in and paid off my house, which was great. And so all yeah. those debts are just gone. It's, it's been amazing. Just, it's just realizing how to scale up the business. I think a lot of people are hearing this and they say, wow, that's a lot of properties. Um, is um, a lot of people that leave their job, including myself, um, I've found that I have to set up multiple streams of income uh, just to try and even out those things. Because say your property makes $250 a month, but then you have a tenant turnover or different things happen. I had in my early investing career in the US, I ended up having, what was it? Six properties go vacant the exact same month. And it was- oh. 
it, it was there. a lot. It was a lot back when I only had 10. And it's just like, that's a lot in one month, right? So I'm, I'm guessing that you, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating <laughs> that, that there's probably some more streams. How, how did you do, how do you overcome that? So after I quit my, so I definitely made sure that I had well above enough yeah. money. In fact, I learned that lesson before I quit my job, exactly what you learned, Glenn. So there was one year, it was probably like year four or five-ish. It took me about nine years from beginning to end to quit my job. But now maybe four or five, maybe year six, something like that. I was like, oh man, this is great. Look how much money's rolling in. I still have my job, I got my paycheck. I just started spending money. And I wasn't really being too conscious of about what, what was I was spending. Yeah. And I, that set me back because I had, I bought a house. I had a couple of vacancies. I was doing a repair and that new house that I bought was, you know, cost money. And so it, I had so much money go out. And then I also had so many expenses on like 10 of my properties. I was like, uh Oh, like I'm literally having to go into debt because I just spent way too much money on, and traveled and did some fun things. And so I locked everything down. I said, okay, we need an emergency fund. We need capital reserves, you know, basically money on hand for your business and run myself like our family on a budget where we're not just over. Oh, I, I want to do that. Or I want to buy that. <laughs> Instead of doing that, I made sure that I wouldn't actually, you know, go in that, I guess, negative territory of having, oh my goodness, what am I going to do to pay, pay the bills? <laughs> cool. Um, for people, some people that are listening to it, they see or hear a lot of properties and uh, whenever they hear a lot of properties, they go down the hole of, how am I going to come up with the down payments or the cash to buy 20 properties? That's a great thought, especially when you're thinking of how do I, how do I get the first one? Yeah. That's, that's really, really hard. And here's the thing. Most people, when they're investing in real estate, what they think about is how do I do it? Well, I bought a house before. This is kind of what they're thinking. Yeah. I bought a house before I found a realtor and a mortgage broker and I put them together and I bought a house. Well, in real estate investing, that's literally just one of, I know, at least 15 different ways that I have personally used to buy properties. Now, here's, here's basically how I got started. I started investing in another, another state. So I was in California, started investing in Ohio. Now I'm in Texas and Arizona. And my students that I coach and train, we're literally investing all over the country, like yeah. thousands of miles away from us. I even have students in Canada, which is fantastic, having mm -hmm. helping them to invest in America. And what we do is we make sure that as we're, here's a, here's a statement that you're going to hear me say all the time. We build the business first. We, and I can explain what that means, but we yeah. build the business and that business is going to make sure that we are doing everything right. Now, here's what I do is I invest all over the country, but in building the business for actually, let me, let me quickly go into what build the business first means. So yeah. if you're, if you're going to build the business first, you're going to do a lot of things before you even buy a property. I'll give you an example. If you go to a convenience store, now a convenience store is, you know, candy bars and soda, ma soda machines and all that sort of stuff. If yeah. you're gonna start a convenience store business, you're not gonna sign a lease and then on a, on a location, open the doors, a set a box of candy bars there on the ground. You're not gonna do that. You're gonna go out of business, lose money, and go out of the business in like two seconds. But what you would do, is build the business first. You get the gondolas, so those are shelving units that all the candy bars go on. You get the countertops, the cold storage, the fountain machines, bank accounts, cash registers, employees, insurance, all this stuff set up before you buy any inventory. Then once the entire business is set up, then you buy the inventory and put that into your business. Same thing with real estate investing. And everywhere that we invest all over the country, we build the business first, then we buy the inventory. So. What that looks like is number one, your property 
is not your business. A lot of people who kind of maybe teach or tell you how to invest in real estate, they'll say that your property is a business, is your business. Like, no, 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 absolutely not. That's, that's wrong. In fact, what they'll teach you, and this is the wrong way to do it, they'll say, you find an area of the country to invest. You run the numbers, basically make, meaning make sure you make $50 or so in passive income, but you'll get appreciation, which I don't invest for appreciation. I, I like appreciation, but I probably will never sell my properties. Like if you could watch the video, I have four kids in my background. I'm literally gonna give these properties to my kids. So what they're gonna tell you is get a little bit of money in passive income. Then you buy the property, put, you know, show thousands of dollars. And I'll get to, I remember your first question was, you know, how do you get the money to get started, which I'll go into that in just, a, yeah. just a second. But I, this is the first thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I teach all my students, financing comes later. Building the business comes first. So what we're doing is they're, they're, they're going to tell you this. Remember, this is the wrong way. You find a property, run the numbers. Then you spend thousands of dollars of money to buy the property. Then you pay thousands of dollars to fix it up. Then you find somebody to rent it out, a tenant, and then you find a property manager. Well, that's just about backwards, in my opinion. What okay. we do is we build the business first by finding an area of the country that has inventory. Just like if you're going to start a convenience store, you need to make sure you can get inventory. Same right. thing. We find a city all over the country where we have good inventory. Three bedroom, two bath, you know, let's say 1,200 to 1,500 square feet. At least this is my cookie cutter type of property that I love to buy. Um, yeah. 1,200 to 1,500 square feet that can make me a minimum of $250 a month in passive income. Once I see the inventory in that city that, hey, this looks like it could be a good, good uh, city, then I stop looking at inventory. And a lot of people would say, well, don't you go get a bunch of realtors? Like, no, 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 no. That's the, the realtors are the last things that we go after. Most people think it's the first thing. That's literally the last thing. What's the first thing? We build the business. We find the property managers. Those are our quarterbacks. Like if you know anything about football or anything like that, like they're the ones that make you money, save you money, win the game for you. You want your property managers. So we find our property managers, our contractors, our roofers, plumbers, inspectors, insurance agents, mortgage brokers, which is the financing portion. Um, all these other people in the business, then we find wholesalers. I love wholesalers. They basically yep. help you find properties too. Realtors, as well as other investors, all these other title companies. We build the entire business before we buy any inventory. Then once that business is built, we have a property manager that's actually gonna be able to manage the property or want to manage the property. Then we buy the inventory and we put it into our business. The last thing you wanna do is spend thousands and thousands of dollars, let's say 10, 20, $30,000 for a down payment on a property. Yep. And after you do everything other people tell you to do, you know, find the property manager last. If you can't find a property manager, you, you don't have asset anymore. It's a liability. I've had lots of people come to me and say, Dustin, this is happening. I can't find anybody to manage the property. I've already bought the property. What do I do? I'm like, well, you should have started first by building the business first. Yeah. But we can go through all that. I can help you out to, to fix this. But this is what we do. Build the business. And then every piece of inventory buy a property is a piece of inventory that we put into our business because the business is going to work for us. If I give them business rules, I don't work at all, which I'll get to in just a second. But I, I know I'm talking really fast and throwing a oh, lot at you. It's but good. I, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what I do, we buy the properties and then we put it into our business as inventory. That's how we can scale the business. That's how I scale my business. Instead of saying property is a business. Now the next second property is a business. Now third property is a business. No, no, no. We have a business that owns inventory. We put it in. Now what we do in order to scale the business is literally implement other people to, or not implement, uh, hire or get other people to send us deals. Uh, hire, get, find other people to give us money. So getting quickly back to your financing yep. portion, I personally took $17,000 of my wife's money. We just got married and <laughs> married six months. 
I wasn't taught to save, she was. And so I didn't have any debt, but I wasn't taught to save. So I said, hey, honey, we just got married. Can I take your money that you saved and go buy a house with it? And she was very hesitant. Praise the Lord, she actually said yes, eventually after I encouraged her and showed her how it worked. And then I bought that first property. Then what I did was I refinanced that property because I bought with equity and there was equity in the property. So I cashed out refinance, which is a tax-free loan. We can get to that, it's just amazing. But I took that money, pulled that cash out, then bought the second property. Then because I bought that second house with equity, it basically I bought it for lower than it's worth. I refinanced that house, pulled the, my cash out and the equity again to buy the next house. And I did that over and over again. Now for somebody getting started, if they wanna get started, Definitely, it's much easier to get started if you have over $10,000. Like, actually, I'll say most of my students, I don't take any student that has less than $10,000 US dollars just because it's so harder, so much harder to get started. It's possible. Don't get me wrong. It's possible, but it's very hard. But here's, like I said, I've done, I've used so many different ways to do financing, like mortgage broker, obviously. I've used hard money, private money, um, I just seller financing. I've even used a signature loan where you just go into the bank and say, hey, here's my, just like my credit, it's yeah. an unsecured line of credit. And they gave me money. I've even used a credit card. I kid you not, Glenn. And this is an advanced strategy because I knew my business. I knew that this money I'm borrowing would help me to buy this next house, which that house would pay for this credit. All that to say, it's an advanced strategy, but I used a credit card to buy properties. There's so many different ways. In fact, what's interesting, if you realize the two things I was telling you, number one is financing, getting properties, and the other one is property managers. So I have my own YouTube channel where I literally just teach, literally just give out this, all this content for free. The most watched videos are how to get financing. That's not that hard to get financing, but most people watch that. That's like the highest viewed one. The worst rated videos or worst watched ones are how to find the right property manager, how to make sure you're, you're selecting and hiring the right one. But that's the number one thing in your business that you need. If you don't have a property manager manage the property, you buy a house and they say, you know what, I, you know, you're calling around property manager and say, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna manage that because I'm gonna get shot there. That's the bad property. So all that to say, we build the business first. If we build the business, we're going to have people that are going to want to invest with us. We're going to save money, all that sort of stuff. So there's so much I just unlaid out for everybody. So I apologize, but you probably have questions. Well, yeah. And we could also go down like about 30 paths from that. I know. Um, but um, I guess maybe we'll go over some of the things that I've been going through. Maybe you have the same challenges, but as you're scaling and you're getting up into the 20, the 30, the 40 properties is, is keeping track of these, even with property management. Um, what kind of systems do you set up with these as you, as you've grown? Because um, even if you leave your job, the idea when you left your job wasn't to go spend 40 hours managing managers. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, many people have heard of the book, The Four Hour Work Week. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I think working four hours a week is for suckers. I don't work four hours a week. I don't even work four hours a month on my properties. And this will definitely get to answering your question. <laughs> I maybe work 30 minutes a month on all my real estate investing business. Now, the rest of my time, I hang out with my family. I go to the gym. I get on podcasting, talk to great people like you because I've set up the business. I have a business that runs and I set up business processes and systems in place that run without me. I'll give you a quick example. Like yeah. I, obviously, I've, I've already walked through the building the business. Yep. Now that I've built the business, now I need to tell everybody how to run my business the way that I want to run it. Now, if they have other landlords that want to run their business differently, that's fine. You run my business, property manager, realtors, and inspectors, like everybody, you run it the way I want it. So with, I'll give you an example what that looks like. 
for property managers, what I do is I tell them rent is due on the first. It's late after the third. On the fourth, you start the three-day notice, which is a three-day notice is basically, you know, you have three days to pay or we're going to start the eviction process. Once that three-day notice is up, then we literally start the eviction process right then and there. It's a, it's a, it's a step-by-step a process. You do not go against this. Now, if somebody's been in the house for like two or three years and they have a little hard time, like, yeah, we could bend. But if they've only been there six months, like, no, this is what just, just like if your mortgage broker or your bank, you know, you say, hey, bank, you know, my son got arrested. I need to use all of my mortgage to pay for them to get out of jail. They're like, we don't care. Like, that, that's, that's a bummer. But yeah. you still have to pay your mortgage. If not, we're going to foreclose on you. Same thing what we do in our business. We set up business processes and systems in our business so that it runs without us. Does that all make sense? Yeah. So then I'm guessing you're going to need some people to run this system. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you use uh, Americans? Do you go virtual assistants? Where do you, where, where, what, what's your path? What's your, how do you do yours? Well, if you think about the, the term virtual assistants, it's somebody that's virtual or somebody that's far away from you that's right. doing more work for you. So here's what I love. Yeah. I love to hire experts. And I'll give you an example who's not an expert. Zillow.com. It's a, you know, most people know what Zillow is. Oh, yeah. uh, Zillow.com's not an expert. Um, Realtor.com, Redfin, Trulia, like all those, they are not experts. Even the areas that I have, you know, 10, 20, 30 houses, I'm not the expert in that area. I will literally say like, oh, my students come to me, hey, Dustin, you invest in this area, the city. I'm like, that, that's great, but I'm not the expert. I'll give you a little idea, but who are the experts? Those are the people literally there on the ground. So I, I would say, yeah, I probably have lots of virtual assistants, meaning property managers and everybody that's away from me. But what we do is we hire the experts literally there. And this is what an expert looks like. Let's say you're looking at a property. We've already built the business first. We already have the property managers. We already literally have everybody working in our business and we're looking at our next property. With that next property, I say, okay, I could probably buy it for this much. And then I go to my property manager and say, property manager, this is the property I'm looking at buying. I ask the questions, how much can it rent for? Will you manage the property? What type of tenants are we looking for? What's the vacancy factor? You know, these sort of questions that they would know. Zillow is going to tell you, let's say you could rent it for $1,600. This is what you could probably rent it for. But I talked to my property manager, the expert. I'd give him the address and be like, oh, I, I know that area. In fact, I have a house like, you know, a block away. We yeah. tried to get $1,600, but we couldn't. We can only get $1,400. Like, oh, wow. If I would run my numbers at $1,600, like Zillow is telling me, I would not be where I need to be. I'd be actually maybe even losing money. So we hire the experts, the realtors, the inspectors, the experts on the ground. But the key is when you're building your business, just like you're building any business, you need to hire the right people. And here's a saying that I need everybody to remember. Okay. You hire slow, but fire fast. You hire slow, like your property manager, you want to interview them two or three times, not through text, not through email, literally calling them on the phone, making sure that they're, punctual and calling you back. Like if they take a, you know, like three or four days to call you back before they have your money and your business, imagine how hard it's going to be when they already have your money to get them to call you back. So we hire slow, interview them over and over again, basically, you know, multiple calls. And when they fit in our business, they, we are going to actually tolerate them on the phone. Like you don't want to be talking to your property manager, oh, this guy again. Hello. You don't want to, you want yeah, that. Yeah. You want a good person in your business, just like you're hiring any employee. The downfall that people fall into when they're listening to other people who teach this, they say, okay, I have my property. That's my business. Now let me just find somebody and just throw somebody in there. No, no, no. I did that my first property. I, did, I was doing what everybody else was telling me to do. And my property manager started stealing from me in six months. 
And it was horrible. So I was fired her really quickly. Now, if I would let that uh, first problem property and proper, uh, property manager deter me, I wouldn't be here where I am today. So I pushed through it. Found, I figured out the right way to do it because remember, like I've always been entrepreneurial, always business minded. So yes. I implemented the business. Once I realized that was wrong, I said, how do I approach this as a business owner? Boom. Now I have a business that has multiple properties in it as inventory. And that's how I make sure that I don't work, but other people work for me. Right. So you have, you do have someone that works under you is what I'm thinking, because you, you know, when you scale this down to having working so little uh, amount of time that's being done, I'm just thinking for me, just to even go over the property management statements. Cause I like to know what's going on and everything. It, it's going to take me more than half an hour to go through the, all the properties. Right. Oh, so no, I don't hire like a person to oversee the property managers. No, I don't necessarily need that. And the big reason why is because I found the right property managers and I've been using now, when I hire them first off for like the first year, I'm really nitpicking literally every single thing. Now I do ones that I've had three, four, you know, 10 years as my property manager, yep. I still go and review, but it's not as in depth. The first year of having the first property manager, I'm, especially when you're getting started, when you have one, two or three properties, you're like, oh my good, like I need to make sure every penny's accounted for, which is you need to do that. You must do that. Yep. After that, once you have a good track record, it's really just open up the statements, looking, making sure that, you know, there's not needless expenses, making sure there's not big expenses, making sure that they're calling you for any, this is my suggestion, another business rule uh, system that I put in place or process, anything over, I want to say it's like $200 for most property managers. Well, other property managers it might be $100, but anything over that, call me or just send me a quick message on email or text saying, this is what I need to do. And this is how much it's going to cost. Then me being an investor, I know how much most things should cost. I know that, okay, this property has had this problem in the past. We fixed it for this much, but you're wanting like to replace the, like let's say furnace. You want to replace the entire furnace, but like, I know it's probably just this. So no, don't do that. Go get somebody else. Long story short, yeah. I do have checks, but they already know when they, like they say, hey, Dustin, here's this problem. It's going to cost, let's say a thousand dollars. You know, can we go ahead? I'm like, give me two other quotes. That's literally, I, I need more quotes. If it's above a thousand dollars, I need more quotes. I'm not, it's not just for the dollar amount. Getting a lower dollar amount is great. But the reason why we need more quotes on top of that is for other eyeballs, not the property manager eyeballs or the one person or the one company looking at a problem like the furnace going out. I need multiple people looking at it because it might not be what that one, just like a second opinion. If you yeah, get like, sick, yeah. you're going to get a second it's opinion and third opinion. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, that's how I, now I, maybe I'm a little more trusting than like that's yeah. somebody that's like, I have to manage my own properties. Yeah. I just love to be able to let other people do the work that I pay them well for check them. Like I said, but no, I don't have somebody that's managing all the managers at all. That's the, when you're not working 40 hours a week, if not more 50, 60 hours a week for somebody else, you have time. Like I was like, Oh yeah. Even if I need to spend an hour a week looking at all my properties and making sure things get, that's nothing compared to 40 hours a week. <laughs> okay. I think this will be the last question, but so what do you do then? What, what parts do you still, <laughs> do you still do? <laughs> so I still, I wouldn't say find my properties because I have wholesalers and um, other yep. investors and realtors sending me deals. I love waking up in the morning, drinking my coffee and looking at my email and yep. seeing all the different properties that I could pick from. Yep. So because I told everybody, remember from the very beginning of this call or this, this interview, I, started, I told you that I started telling everybody I'm an investor. And so because of that, everybody knows Dustin's an investor. He buys properties. Let's send him properties. So because of that, for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so doing this, 
I have so many properties coming in. So it's basically me just looking for properties. Now I could offload that and hire people to do that, but I like doing it and it doesn't take me that much time. With that, only other thing that I really do with my time is go on podcasts, teach people how to do this. And because I have so much extra time, I thought, you know what? I can't just sit around and watch TV all day. There's, I don't have that personality. Like I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, uh, what's an extroverted type of guy. Yeah, yeah. So you could probably tell that. <laughs> and so I just love helping people. I love talking to people. I love getting on po great podcasts like yours, Glenn, and just sharing, hey, I literally did this. And I'm not that smart. In fact, all your listeners are probably much smarter than I am. All I know is addition and subtraction and a little bit of multiplication. And what that <laughs> comes down to is you add up all your expenses, every single expense you could think of for your property, total that up. And then you take your rent, how much you could rent the property for, subtract that, that difference. So you get your expenses and your rent, that difference is passive income. And the multiplication just comes in. Well, if I want to quit my job, let me just multiply that passive income out. So like I said, this is what I do now is just teach people. And I literally don't even think about my uh, properties, my business, my real estate, because I have other people. And I'll, I'll share this last thing with you. Yes. So in 2017, when I quit my job, I was 37 years old. I took my family on a six week vacation all through Japan. We drove like 1500 miles on the left-hand side of the road, all <laughs> throughout the island of Japan for six weeks. Didn't even think, didn't even talk about, didn't think about my business, didn't talk to the property manager or anybody because I didn't need to. And then in 2018, I took my family to Europe for six weeks, 11 different countries. We went through so many, it's so, such a blast. I didn't even think about my business. In 2019, I went on the East Coast of America, went from Florida, drove all the way up to New York and Washington, D.C. on a four-week field trip with my family. 2020 was 2020, you know that. But yeah. anyways, yeah. I, it's, I literally don't think about my business at all. And what it comes down to is hiring the right people, building the business, and then putting systems in place that make them run well. Awesome. Dustin, people want to track you down? How do they do so? Yeah, um, so I have a real estate investing course. Like I said, I just love helping people. So I have a real estate investing course. I'll literally give all your listeners for free. If you text the word, well, this is Canada. I don't know, can you, you can text into America yeah, line, can you? We're in the same okay. system. There we go. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. In case the text message way doesn't work, what other way could they get a hold of you, Dustin, for the course? Yeah, if you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Plus, I have my podcast, the Master Passive Income Podcast YouTube channel. It's literally just me. I don't really do interviews. It's just me teaching how to do this stuff because there's so much to learn. And I just love giving it out for free. So you can check me out on all those different ways. I'm even doing a real estate investor conference here in Phoenix, where I live. It's going to be in March, which is just beautiful time of year bringing so many other investor influencers here and just saying, you know what? Most conferences in Glenn, you probably, if you've been to conferences, you definitely see this. Most conferences, they say after a session, they'll say, okay, now run to the back and give me 20 or $30,000 on your eight credit cards. Like, yeah, yeah. that's horrible. That's, that's how, that's the first conference I went to. It was disgusting. Yeah. I want a different conference. I said, you know what? We need a conference of just people helping each other out. So it's a real estate wealth builders conference is what it's called. So all that to say, it's just, this is my fun. Like, I just love helping people. So you can check all that stuff out too. Awesome. Appreciate your time on, uh, on the show. A lot of information. Great. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate having me on.